Your boss says something really generic about what she expects, and you're not quite sure what to do next. How to handle getting alignment with your boss in this chat with Pete Mikaitis. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 427. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. So much of our conversations involve how we set expectations and how we get alignment. And one of those key key, key places for us to be able to get alignment with is our boss, uh, the person that uh, oversees our work. And of course, there's all kinds of different relationships we all have with bosses and managers throughout our careers. Uh, But there are some key principles that we can uh, take and put into action in order to get alignment in the best possible way. I am glad to welcome back to the show today someone who is uh, absolutely an expert on helping people to be awesome at their work and to communicate well with others. That is Pete Makaitis. Pete is the host of the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete has a large and loyal following, and his show is regularly listed as one of the top career shows on Apple Podcasts. He facilitates training for organizations on enhanced thinking and collaboration to help organizations clarify and reduce their rework. He's a master at saving teams an average of 1.4 hours per person per week. Uh, And perhaps even more importantly than all that to me personally, Pete is a friend and we get to collaborate all the time on, on ideas and suggestions for each other and giving each other feedback. So Pete, I'm so glad to welcome you back to the show. Oh, Dave, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be back. And and that's a very gracious introduction. Thank you for that. Hey, it's so good to have you back. You know, you are doing some really exciting things in the work you're doing. And I want to talk more about that in a bit. But I really am curious about expectations because so much about how we get alignment with people is around expectations. And I, I know I've said this on the show before, but I think it just can't be repeated too often is the root of almost every conflict is unclear expectations, isn't it? Absolutely very much so. And it's funny how, you know, if you're listening to Coaching for Leaders podcasts, you're pretty much already bought into the idea of doing what you're doing with excellence. And what can really be a bummer is even if you are, you know, investing big in, in such a way, if that is not exactly what you're manager, supervisor, or other kind of key stakeholder is hoping for or expecting from you, you know, all of those efforts don't translate into valuable output and, and, and brownie points and advancement potential and you know, benefits for, for all of those stakeholders. So yeah, so huge to, to get good alignment here. Like I do, you talk to a lot of folks who have expertise in this area of good communication, setting expectations. And when we think about getting alignment with your manager and expectations. One of the starting points is probably just getting more clarity. And that's one of the things I know it's really central to your work. Tell me more about clarity. And when you're thinking about that, what are you, what are you trying to drive? I think clarity boils down to you are, are, are fully on the same page with kind of all the essentials that you need in order to, to execute you know, just right. And, and so sometimes, you know, I've even turned this into a little bit of, of an acronym for, for 
I use debt pram for like determine the parameters in terms uh. of are we really clear on the deliverable, you know, what it is that we are producing? Are we really clear on the timing when it's due and when it's really, really due and and who's going to be kind of absorbing that and, and when? Are we really clear on the process? You know, what are we going to, to do and what matters? What's wide open and what's sort of off limits? Or maybe there's legal or compliance situations. Are we really clear on the resources? Like just how much time can you spend on it? Or, or how much of other people's time can you deploy to it? Or how much money is in the budget for it? Are we really clear on the audience in terms of, of who it's going to and, and maybe any of the secondary audiences and, and, and how they're going to be utilizing that? And finally, the motive, like why do we care about this and kind of what's the ultimate goal we're hoping to achieve by, by doing it? So I think about you know, clarity or alignment you know, pretty precisely with regard to do we have a, sort of a, a full mind meld, if you will, you know, on, on these six dimensions of deliverable, timing, process, resources, audience and motive or are we fuzzy and and when you're fuzzy you know there can be some some frustrations you know in terms of why is this taking so long oh i had no idea that you were expecting this tomorrow <laughs> it would have been nice to to get clarity on that up front yeah and i think one of the things that when i when i think back to conversations i've had where this has really been a problem clarity on expectations is that almost always it seems like there are pretty clear answers to those six areas. And yet, the communication about those six, <laughs> those six areas and the clarity of those answers and expectations isn't necessarily there. And I've lost count of how many times someone has said to me, I would just love my boss to be able to articulate some level of clarity in at least some of these areas, <laughs> even if not all six. And that often is really fuzzy. I think a lot of managers really, really struggle with that, don't they? Certainly. And there are maybe any number of reasons for it. You know, one, maybe the manager is sort of spooked by their own experience and say, I don't want to be a micromanager. You know, I don't want to have to spell out every little thing. And, and, and I think, well, there's, there's a huge continuum, you know, is, is my response to that. So that could be one sort of source of, of fear there. The second, you know, could be they don't have the clarity themselves. Like, I don't know, I'm just sort of forwarding this and I'm, I'm really busy. So yeah. I'm hoping that it makes sense to you and, and you can find your own clarity along those lines. Or other times, it's just that they haven't hunkered down to, to take the time and, and, and think through it. And other times, it's just a matter of assumptions. It's sort of like, it's just a very common human error that we think that what's in my head is also in that other person's head. And yeah. Usually it isn't. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. I, I know I've made that error myself as a manager. And so I guess I'm wondering, you know, thinking about this from the situation I think most of us have been in, <laughs> where we sit down with our, our manager and we walk away from the meeting more confused than we were when we walked in as far as what's expected, what's the process, what's the quality metric, right? When that feeling happens, What's a good starting point, Pete, for trying to influence a little bit more of that clarity? I think it really boils down to me having some go-to questions that feel good for you. And I think one of the reasons that we don't clarify when we're on the receiving end of instructions is because maybe we're a little bit sheepish or embarrassed about it in terms of, oh, I don't actually understand all the things that you've said, but that seems like the wrong answer to indicate that <laughs> you know, in this context. 
So I think that that could play a role. And so sometimes it's a matter of just kind of crafting those questions in advance, almost like a script that you can go to so that you are, are asking the questions you, to get the clarity you need without sounding dumb. So I think you, you just sort of think through what might be some magical questions that you can use again and again. And, and you could sort of think about them maybe for each of those six areas in terms of, you say, what are you trying to accomplish here? I think is a great one in terms of sort of like, what's the ultimate goal that we're after? Or how do you envision this deliverable? And sometimes it's really, a, frankly, a relief if you're envisioning like a huge gargantuan deck and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, just maybe a quick spreadsheet with like the five options, you know, and, and the costs. Like, oh, oh, I can do that in an hour. That's great. And, and so I think it's good to sort of think through your questions in advance that are, are calibrated such that they will not provoke defensiveness uh, on the other side. And they will not uh, make you feel dumb you know, if you're articulating them out loud. And they will give you the information that you really need in order to, to get where you're going. And sometimes if it's unclear, I'd say use that to your advantage you know, in terms of, of go ahead and make the proposal. And so, you know, I don't really care, you know, what process you use. Like, okay, well, hey, I, I prefer to use these bits of software and sort of collaborate with these teammates. If that works for you, they'd say, sure. So I think that can be, if unclarity can be annoying in the sense of what is it that you want from me? I don't know if I'm going to be able to meet this expectation. You know, that's sort of the dark side. But the light side is, oh, well, I guess if, if you haven't decided that, then we got some leeway here. And I'm going to use that in, in a, a way that's going to make this enjoyable and effective for how I prefer to do work. That's key. Like Two th- big things I think you said there that I'm hearing. One of them is where there is not clarity, you create it. So rather than walking away from a conversation like that and just guessing, you say, here's what I'd like to do, or here's my proposal, or maybe you come back pretty quickly with a first iteration of it. So you define what that looks like. And I, I love the way you phrase that of like, use that to your advantage if there's not clarity, truly not clarity. The other thing I'm hearing you say there, which I think is huge and just echoes so much of what I hear in the good coaching questions, is when you're asking questions about clarity, you're not asking to put the other party on the defensive, in this case, your boss, which you you don't want to do. You're asking from a curiosity standpoint, like what what is the what does the deliverable look like uh, to you? And you're really just being curious so that you can elicit a little bit more understanding of what the end result is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I'll tell you, as my podcast and business has grown, and, and my team has grown, and I've I've been playing more and more of a of a management leadership role. I find that I really appreciate a great clarifying question. I don't feel defensive. I'd say, oh. That's a great question. How silly of me for, for not having mentioned it. Or that's a great question. That sparks a whole other idea I wouldn't even have had. So, so I, I really appreciate uh, receiving those clarifying questions. And it, it shows that, that they're really invested. Like, hey, I, I really wanted to deliver what you want from me. And so rather than just kind of doing sort of whatever's in the zone, roughly speaking, asking those questions up front. I don't feel annoyed. I I feel appreciative. Yeah. And this actually leads into the recent chat we had with Hassan Osman about delegation a few months ago on the show. And we talked about taking the time as a manager to set aside time in advance 
to think through <laughs> what the outcomes are, what you want to delegate. And one of the things we talked about in that conversation is that so few managers take the time to sit down to think to do that. I know I have missed that so many times. And I'm thinking things through too often when I'm delivering it to the other person. And so to reinforce what you just said, Pete, I've also appreciated those clarifying questions when they've come to most of the time, because often I didn't spend the time in advance that I should have done to really think through that particular point or that particular context of the situation or the deliverable. And the question then allowed me to refine that a lot more, at least in the moment for that person and for them not to go down a path for days or weeks of something that wasn't really what I wanted. Yes, uh, that is that's very well said. You also say that one of the big things that people should be thinking about doing is around clarity and expectations is just thinking about that also from a performance review standpoint. And I know a lot of organizations are in different places of how they're handling performance reviews, but almost every organization still has some formal process for reviews, even if they're doing something more regular as far as coaching, there's still some formal review process. What do you find that people run into that's a frustration point there? Oh, wow. Many, many, many things. <laughs> I'd say if folks are sort of hearing feedback that is a surprise, that's not a good sign because ideally you'll be having you know, uh, sort of feedback exchanges, one-on-ones uh, with some frequency such that you you hear all of those points kind of, well, first more real time so that you can sort of act and react and improve upon them. And, and then uh, not sort of say, well, what do you mean by that? And for it to be so removed from when the kind of actions and activities occurred that you don't even really remember what we're talking about and we can't even generate a, a clear example uh, for that. I, you know, Pete, I was, as you were saying that, I was thinking back to my work at Carnegie over the years. And one of the things we would often try to do is when someone was coming to one of our training programs, we would try to spend some time with the boss, but at very least to get some feedback with that person's manager of like, what would you like them to gain from this program? What are some goals you have for them? And often that was hard to get that clarity, but we would get forms back and, and documents back from bosses that would say, hey, I really would like my employee to work on this in the class. And it was really a lesson for me on how generic so many goals and expectations are, especially when it came around to the quote-unquote soft skills. Regularly, I'd see things like, I want my employee to get better at communication. <laughs> and at one time, it was even spelled wrong, <laughs> which was very amusing. And it was that was the norm. It was the exception when I'd get a document from a manager that said, here's the specific things that I've given this person feedback on that we've talked about together to really get clarity on. More often, it was something really, really generic. And to the point you made is a lot of times, like there's some framework for it, but it's really open to a lot of interpretation at the end of the review period of what did we mean by that? Or what did the last manager mean by that? If the, if the, the situation has changed as far as who's in the seat, you probably run into that too, I'm guessing. Oh, oh yeah, very much. That's the case. And you know, I, I, I was really spoiled when it came to performance reviews when I was consulting at Bain and Company because well, hey, it's pretty standardized. They've seen a whole lot of consultants, you know, and they know what a consultant should be able to do, you know, by competency at each sixth month stage of your career. So that was very nice in terms of this is what we mean by achieves expert status, you know, at six months in, one year in, one and a half years. And so I thought that was that was really cool. Now, 
Uh, most jobs are, are, are not so standardized and there may not have been a well-trod path of hundreds or thousands um, kind of with that title. But it, it is rather possible to go ahead and, and, and make some definitions. And I think it's, it's great to kind of go a little farther. If we have, you know, our, our values or our competencies, and then to really just sort of spell out, you know, what does excellent look like here? And, and what does poor look like here? I think that you're right. On, on both sides, you want to sort of push for more. And, and one of my favorite tips, if you're the employee in, in this situation, is to ask for sort of regular uh, feedback times, like uh, try to get the one-on-ones there, and then just ask them some of those questions like, hey, what's one thing you see me doing or, or not doing you know, that's holding me back? And you could, again, kind of create your script or calibrated questions in advance. We had one guest, uh, Craig Dowden, on How to Be Awesome at Your Job, talking about the what he calls the, the do-it-yourself review, you know, in terms of just on a regular basis, you know, monthly-ish, uh, you can sort of uh, walk through a, a few key questions uh, along those lines and then share that with your manager and sort of see the extent to which you are agreed and have alignment and, and what else pops up. And I think that's just a very wise approach to ensure that you're, you're systematizing and, and making a, a habit, this acquisition of the feedback so that there are no surprises. And, and feedback is more than a, a once a year kind of an event. Yeah. And I really like that idea of being proactive with it. And one of the common frustration points I hear from people, both managers and employees, is, well, we're talking about something that's really hard to measure. Something like you just mentioned a moment ago, customer service or communication skills or leadership. How do I measure that? And the invitation I find myself often making to people is there's almost always a way to make that more quantifiable. So you may start with some term like leadership or customer service. So customer service is a is a harder thing to measure, right? And, and organizations have their NPS scores and, and ways they measure it. But when it comes down to an individual employee and their performance around customer service, how do you measure that? And yet, there are some things you can do. You can measure how often does a customer reach out proactively and say something nice about this employee and highlight something like, you know, here's a time that this employee went above and beyond and someone noticed it and commented on it or filled out a survey. There's almost always a way to at least get some indicator in a quantifiable way that that employee is making progress toward getting better at that. And that's one of the invitations I'd have for folks is if you Find yourself in that situation, too, of not having a lot of clarity around what this really looks like, is that maybe that's a place where you introduce a way that that becomes a little bit more quantifiable, not only for your manager, but also for yourself, that you can see yourself making progress in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that uh, even if you don't have those, those robust metrics associated with NPS or, or number of thankful customers writing in, I think for any dimension, like if, if the manager is keeping good track and, and or, you know, the employee is prompting frequently, you can just kind of get a sense for, okay, customer service, uh, let me share with you some things that I saw that I liked and would like to see more of and some things I saw that I didn't so much like it and would like to see less of. And, and so then, you know, even if it is kind of fuzzy, you know, you can get there. It's like, okay, hey, last month there were five instances of things I really liked and three instances of things I didn't like. You know, we could say, hey, five eighths is our batting average or whatever here. And then 
sure enough, I didn't see those things I didn't like anymore. And, and those can yeah. be very, I guess, su- subjective too, in terms of uh, you seem to have some attitude in your voice when you said, no, we don't sell that here. I don't know. I'm just making this up. And so that's kind of fuzzy and subjective, you know, but as long as we're specific in terms of, hey, you know, that customer that you were just speaking to, I noticed this. And so then at least they can make the connection. They might say, I wouldn't call that attitude in my voice, but I, I understand how you interpret attitude. And, and now I'm able to, to recalibrate. We had this guest, Bruce Tolkien, on the, the How to Be Awesome About Your Job podcast. And, and he was talking about the crisis of under management and how if you're not having kind of regular one-on-ones, you know, and just pick a frequency, monthly, weekly, even quarterly, if you know it's just uh, too hard to, to fit them in. If those are absent, then there's really no place that feedback can live and be you know, safe and, and kind of really integrated and worked upon. So it goes both ways. You know, managers are often uncomfortable you know, saying you know, what needs to be sort of changed because that's you know, not the coziest of conversations. And employees, uh, likewise, uh, may not appreciate the, the challenge at certain times. But if it's sort of understood, this is the time where we talk about you know, these performance things and, and what we're observing. And, and then for each to reflect on it in advance, it makes all the difference in the world in terms of we are engaging on these matters or we're kind of quietly ignoring all the ways that we're irritating each other. And you said a key word there for me a moment ago of calibrate. And I, that is something that I, I do sense is a real frustration point for a lot of folks who are reporting to managers. They'll come out of a conversation and they'll have received some sort of very generic kind of feedback of like, oh, you need to get better at communication or having executive presence or something that could mean a lot of different things. And what I've seen people do that I think is super smart in some cases is they'll take that feedback <laughs> such that it is, and they'll do some thinking about it, look at some data points like, okay, I think maybe this is what my boss means, you know, make a best guess and then work in a particular area to change their behavior. And then cycle back to the manager a few weeks later, a few months later, whatever the right time frame is, and say, hey, I've been thinking about what you said around executive presence, or insert whatever the feedback was here. Here's a couple of things that I've been doing differently over the last few weeks in order to address that. What do you think? And it seems like people tend to either get one of two responses to that. Either they get the oh, okay, good, you're on the right track response, which is great, keep going, right? Or they get the, no, that's not quite what I meant, here's what I mean. And it ends up giving them a little more clarity then, like they get more data points from their manager on like, oh, here's what they really meant about this. It's almost like either way it's a win because one way or the other, either you're on the right path or you figure out you're not. But it's like you said, it's it's starting to it to be a regular conversation and a dialogue versus I'm waiting nine months till the next performance review. Oh, yes. And, and I think that's that's excellent. And, and it just shows that you're so proactive. And they might even be surprised like, oh, wow, you really kind of took what I said seriously and kind of ran with it. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That's a, make a makes a great impression there. And I would encourage further, you know, just to don't even you don't even have to wait in terms of it. They say, hey, improve your executive presence. You say, OK, thank you for that. Could you share with me a time or two 
where you thought my executive presence was lackluster. Mm, yeah. and they might struggle, you know, it's like, oh, geez, I don't even know. You know, it's hard to say. And, and that, that's unsatisfying, but it happens a lot. So you kind of have to take your approach there. But if you, you do get some of those, uh, that's, that's very useful. And if you don't, you could also ask them to, to proactively chime in and say, hey, I don't have a perfect map for what you're saying. So I would really appreciate it if next time you catch my executive presence being lackluster, you know, you let me know, you know, very shortly thereafter. So that way I can, I can really start tracking kind of, you know, what you mean by that. And then, cause, cause it could mean a dozen things. It's like, yeah. uh, your shirt is wrinkly, you know, your shoulders are slouched. Your voice is, is cracking. You know, it can mean any number of those things. And that's, that's so helpful to know. It's like, oh, you just don't want my shirt to be wrinkled. Well, you could say that, but you want to know rather than not know. Yeah, and you, you, the more you encourage those regular interaction points, and it's it's a con- we're having a conversation about this of of expectations of really getting on the same page of calibrating and getting alignment. Then it's like not a surprise in seven or eight months when the performance review comes right. And I think you know the vast majority of people who listen to both of our shows are are very much so mindful about doing this for their employees, of not surprising, of coaching regularly. But the people who manage us <laughs> aren't necessarily in that same boat, right? So if we can normalize that being the way that conversation should happen about professional development and coaching and interacting about getting alignment, I think we're we're definitely more likely to move the needle on that and to get a little bit more of that alignment than we would otherwise if we just kind of left it to everyone else's devices. One of the other areas I want to ask you about too is I know you you think a lot about not just the manager but also the organization and the team and how they define quality. How does that fit in for this for you? Oh, certainly. Well, I think it's just so good to know you know what what kind of really matters around here you know in your respective workplace and because it's natural to kind of misunderstand. One of my favorite examples of this is I've got a buddy who is a lawyer and he was really good at being a lawyer. And he thought that quality meant crafting just sort of, you know, gorgeously written, sort of, you know, tightly argued, very sharp, you know, legal briefs and motions during the course of, of, of doing their work. And so he thought, hey, I'm doing a great job. Look, look at how, how rocking this, <laughs> this piece of legal writing I just produced to us. Well, then he, he came to learn that when in that particular firm and, and team and, and the way they, they build their clients. No, no. Uh, what's quality here is really more of, of quantity. It's like, you know, write it so it's good enough to, to get the intended outcome and then hurry up and move to the next because that's the way we get more revenue around here. And, and so, and, and other organizations, it might be just the opposite. No, hey, it's about the billable hour. <laughs> you spend more hours that we can earn more revenue and we like that. So, but I think that's really important to, to note is that you may have your own sets of assumptions, but if you take a moment to, to stop and clarify and, and ask some of those questions, you can, you can figure that out and, and see what really does matter here. And, and sometimes the real stuff is different than the, the stated stuff, and that's a tricky yeah. thing to be in. So yeah. We talked about customer service. Well, you know, I, I would imagine... What good means in terms of customer service is you have customers who are super delighted by their interactions with you and you've, you've solved their problem, they felt listened to, cared about, and, and they got what they needed. 
Well, there are other customer <laughs> service organizations and teams where it's all about cost containment. And, yeah. and so they're looking at the metrics like, hey, what's the average handle time on, on these telephone calls uh, from, from all the reps? And maybe you're, you're supervising some reps or, or a whole center. And, and that's what you're, you're being graded upon. Well, it, it's just sort of good to understand, okay, this is the game we're in. It's, uh, it's sort of a high efficiency, minimize the cost. And, and that's what, what we call winning in quality here. And because it, it's a harder game to sort of change the mind of folks. Like, we're focusing on this and we should be focusing on that. I mean, that is, that is a difficult road to go down. But hey, with, with great data associated with, I don't know, customer lifetime value and retention and whatnot, uh, you, you might be able to make some inroads there. But even as a first step to understand what really matters here with regard to you know, who gets uh, hired and uh, promoted and uh, raises and uh, what are the performance metrics that uh, we're really focused in on to call winning in this context. Yeah, we, we were just talking with Ginger on the show last week about values and culture and values really do you know, so many people say customer service, but how that plays out is really different in every organization. And it's not necessarily right or wrong, or that we all have our opinions of the way that should be. But one of the big things I'm hearing you say here is start there. Like before you start trying to <laughs> go against the grain and influence the organization differently, especially with your boss, you know, start with where the organization already is, know the values, know how this works. And then, you know, once you do a good job of doing that and you demonstrate performance, then you open up the opportunity to be able to influence in a different way. Um, one of the questions I find myself often asking people is, how is your boss being measured on their performance? And it's interesting mm -hmm. how often people find that they don't have a clear answer to that question. And that often will open up the door to start thinking about like, ooh, how would I approach my job thinking about helping my boss to move the numbers that I know he or she is being measured on? And that often changes perspective on just where will, where do I focus? Where are my expectations? What are the performance review metrics going to be on that? Oh, yeah, that is, that is a power question. That's brilliant. And it's also intriguing to see, you know, some organizations are, are, are watching their bosses with regard to what's the attrition rate of, of the people working for them. And some organizations aren't. And that could make a world of difference in terms of, hey, I'm just thinking about a sales manager. Okay, if it's all about your, your quarterly revenue figures and it's not at all about your uh, attrition rates, well, that's a recipe for mush, mush, you know, sell faster, more. And that can be uh, not such an enjoyable uh, you know, place to be when you're working and, and being sort of managed to, to those metrics. And, and that's intriguing to just sort of watch because people know they can observe that, hmm, that manager seems to have an exceptionally high turnover rate, you know, four or five, six times that of the others. Interesting. And, and then it's just also interesting to note is that manager sort of being, you know, reassigned or, or disciplined or, or is this allowed to just persist, you know, for, for year after year? And that also tells you something. So I think it, it, it's very useful to, to stay alert and observe and to ask those questions and see, you know, what's showing up in terms of the important numbers that, that matter to those who are making promotion and, and sort of compensation decisions. Pete, this is great. So many different ways to think about this, not only from a mindset standpoint, but as far as some real questions we can ask folks. 
And when I think about questions, I may think about you, so much of your work is built around this of helping organizations increase clarity. And you are a machine, Pete. <laughs> I don't know how you do it on, it, you, you, how many shows do you, episodes do you air a week? Three? It is three a week, yes. I don't know how you do that because um, I know how hard I work to uh, prepare just one episode going on a week. So the reason I'm mentioning that is because you have interviewed so many experts over the last few years, and you've really looked at a very broad spectrum of what helps people succeed in the workplace. And I'm curious, as you've gone through that process of both working through organizations and talking to all these experts, what have you changed your mind on in the last few years? You know, I, I think the one thing I've, I've changed my mind on is when I'm thinking about kind of individual uh, productivity, I really have thought a lot about how can I optimize or maximize, you know, my output. And then I think about different times of day and energy levels and, and resources. And, and I think one sort of significant shift for me is I think that I used to think, okay, hey, if I'm more creative in the morning, then I should do uh, creative type work in the morning. And that would seem to make sense. That would increase the amount of, of output. But as I've, I've come to think about it, there's a world of difference between output and, and outcomes or, or results. And so while my brain may be primed to do the, the creative work in the morning, and so I, I do it then, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of produce more stuff. I think the more important thing to focus on is, is the creative work generating really important sort of outcomes and results. And maybe it's not, maybe it's just, it's fun for me to, to do that when my brain is in that zone. And, and I'm really kind of watching out for what am I optimizing for? And is it the, the output? Is it the fun? Or is it the results? And if you think about the 80-20 principle, that's a whole nother podcast episode. It really is true that certain projects, activities truly generate 16 times the results of others. And thusly, it's, it's quite important if you want to sort of add the most value as, as possible, which I think is a great recipe for a flourishing career, to ensure that, that those things happen and that the sort of lesser things are those that can be at risk of, of not happening. So now my new philosophy is uh, I do uh, that which is, is the most leveraged early in the morning, even if my, my brain doesn't feel as, as brilliant at it, because I, I don't want to risk it not happening, uh, which tends to be what happens to things that, you know, land in, toward the end of the day is they get you know, pushed out. Pete Mikaitis is the host of the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Mr. Mikaitis, always a pleasure, sir. Oh, Dave, thank you. It's been a treat. Thank you, Pete. Several related episodes to today's conversation. The first one is Effective Delegation of Authority with Hassan Osman. That was episode 413, uh, just in the last couple of months. On that episode, Hassan and I talked in detail about the other side of this equation. When you're the boss and sitting in the other chair, how do you effectively delegate in a way that actually makes these things clear that Pete was talking about? Deliverables, timing, process, uh, all of these areas where clarity is going to help to produce better results for everyone. And we walk through how to do that in detail. So uh, two reasons I'm recommending that. One is many of us, if not most of us, find ourselves on that side of the equation as well, too. And that's a very helpful skill set. The other reason I'm recommending it is 
if you also approach the conversation with your boss thinking about it from their perspective and thinking about if I was the boss, what would be the parts of this conversation I'd want to have? There's also a ton in that episode that will help you to have this conversation better of getting more clarity with an alignment with your own boss. So there you go. Episode 413 is that. Also, I'd recommend episode 240, how to influence numerous stakeholders with my guest, Andy Kaufman. Uh, Andy is the host of the People and Projects podcast, and he is really masterful at project management and the situation that so many of us find ourselves in daily, regardless of what the org chart says, which is influence without authority. Gone are the days where we just report to one person. Most of us have many, many stakeholders, and we are influencing eight or nine or 10 different parties at various points in different interactions. And we have varying levels of authority, oftentimes not very much. We have to get the job done by really building effective relationships. In episode 240, Andy and I talk in detail about what are some of the key strategies you can use in order to lay a framework for great relationships and to be able to influence regardless of where you find yourself in the hierarchy, and especially if you find yourself in a situation where you don't have a lot of formal authority. And then finally, I would recommend episode number 59 from a while back, Seven Principles for Leading People Older Than You with Bonnie. Uh, Bonnie and I sat down in that conversation and talked about a question we were getting a lot at the time, which was, if I find myself in this position where I'm leading folks older than me, how do I kind of handle that? I know I should be able to handle that, but it's sort of an awkward situation. And the reason I'm mentioning that doesn't directly relate to this conversation, but it is related from a management standpoint. But the real reason I'm mentioning it is I'm actually starting to get that question more again recently. I've gotten that several times in just the last couple of months. And so as demographics change, as our workplaces change more and more, I think more of us are finding ourselves in situations that we're not as comfortable in. Episode 59, if you find yourself leading people older than you and you find that that is something new for you and you're looking for some tips, uh, many of the principles that we discussed in episode 59 will be helpful to you because Bonnie and I were in that situation many, many times, especially earlier in our careers. So all of those episodes are available to you for free on the coachingforleaders.com website. You can go directly there or even easier if you will set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. You'll be able to search in the library by topic. One of the topics that this episode will be listed under is management skills, also influence. There are tons of other conversations around both of those topics that we have cataloged over the years since the podcast began in 2011. You'll set up your free membership. It'll give you access to search all of the past episodes by topic. It'll also give you access to my free weekly leadership guide that comes out on Wednesdays. Plus, uh, you'll get inside my database for all of my own personal articles, all of the highlights from the books of the folks that we interview here on the show, plus a ton more. So if you'd like to get access to that, just go over to coachingforleaders.com, take about 15, 20 seconds, set up your free account, and you will be off and running. Next week, I am glad to welcome Bonnie back to the show. Normally, we are tackling the question and answer uh, show the first Monday of the month. However, this uh, next week, we'll be sharing what you've gained from the podcast as we pass the milestone of 10 million episode downloads. I can't believe it. <laughs> More on that next week. Thanks all for your support and see you next Monday. Take care.